I'm going to share this morning a thought that the Lord's really been in, engraving on my heart in these recent weeks. Basically, ever since I left to drive to North Carolina, the Lord's been impressing this theme on me. That, and I talked about it a little bit last Wednesday, but I'm going to talk about it some more today. That we have faith. Faith is not our problem. Unbelief is our problem. Like we have all the faith we'll ever need. But unbelief doesn't come um, from what God's put in us. Unbelief comes from what every other source of influence puts in us. God puts nothing but belief in us. But when you listen to every other voice, every other influence, every other circumstance, every other delayed prayer, the social media, the news, the medical industry, the political climate, whatever, every other voice creates unbelief. God's voice creates belief. That's our battle. The battle is for our mind. Would you guys agree for that? Because God already has captured our hearts. Our hearts are all his, especially people that get on a Zoom call, you know, on a Wednesday. I mean, you guys are in love with Jesus. Your hearts are all God's. But we have um, a battle which is for the influence of what our mind believes. And so I want to give you some verses. The first the first verse I want to give you would be Ephesians 2.8. You guys all know that verse. It's a very familiar verse. You know, it's so it's you've been saved, right? Let me just read it. Ephesians 2.8. By grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, right? So we're all saved by grace through faith. Do you guys agree with that? Everybody's saved by grace, not works, through faith. This verse can be interpreted a couple ways, you guys. Number one, the salvation that we receive is a gift of God. And that's a correct interpretation. But also, if you'll read it very carefully, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, it is the gift of God. So the faith that God gives us so that we're able to receive the grace is also a gift. So we wouldn't have gotten saved if we hadn't have been given grace, which is a gift, or we would not have been able to receive the grace if we had not been given faith, which is a gift. So you see both of those realities. So I believe that all of us have God faith and that's what made it possible for us to be offspring of God. I think that's how we got born again into a new creation because we were given a gift of faith that could actually believe what was possible. So you don't need to ever say, well, I don't have faith because if you're a Christian, you have all the faith you'll ever need. Um, you know, Romans, Romans 12, three says that God has given all of us a measure of faith. In fact, the measure of faith. That's, that's Romans 12, 3. Um, we all have the perfect measure of faith. I want you to know that. He didn't give me, like, like if, if we were all in a big circle and he was going around dipping out the faith that all of us need to live our lives. He didn't give Rich Henry a dropper full and then Deanne 
surely he didn't give you like a big ladle. And then Stan Hall, he gives you like a teaspoon. And then Marie, he gives you like a gallon bucket. No, he gave all of us the perfect measure of faith. Every Christian's been given everything they need in faith. So when you pray for someone and something doesn't happen, you should never say, well, I just need more faith. Because I don't think God gave any of us a minuscule portion of faith. I think he gave us all the perfect measure of faith. Everybody has a perfect measure of faith. You, you, I, I want us to really get this. I don't think you get a junior version of faith. I don't think you get immature faith. I think you get the faith of God, which gives you the ability to receive God and become one with him in your spirit. I think everything you'll ever need is given you by God in your spirit. Amen. One of the other verses I want you to consider would be 1 John 4, 17, where it says, as he is, so are we in this lifetime. And what do you guys think about that verse? Because every time I read that verse, when I look in the mirror, I'm tempted to say, how is this verse possible? Right? Like, I'm as he is. Look at me. I have, I have wrinkles. I have roles. I have skin blemishes. I have some insecurity. But that's not what he's speaking of. He's speaking as, as he is in his spirit. So are you right now. Come on, in your spirit, you are just like Jesus, not before he died, as he's reigning. If you're a born-again Christian, listen to this. If you're a born-again Christian, you no longer have to go through the cross. You've already gone through the cross. That's why you're a born-again Christian. You've already died to yourself, and you're resurrected, and as he is, so are you. Well, that's not possible unless you have his kind of faith. You guys agree with that? If you don't have God faith, how could you be like Jesus? Another verse would be 2 Peter 1. Let's, let's look at 2 Peter 1. This is a good verse. You guys shake your hands at me when you get happy. That way I know everybody's listening. Yeah, just wag your hands at me. Okay. So 2 Peter 1, check out this verse. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith, of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. This verse is, blows my mind. Peter says we have the exact same faith that he has. Did you guys get that? It says, a bondservant, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. So if you're a Christian, you have the exact same kind of faith that Peter had. Now, what did that make Peter able to do? Well, he could walk around in his shadow and heal people. You guys get that? He could, he could go up to a lady named Dorcas and raise her from the dead. So we, according to the scriptures here, we have the kind of faith in us that can raise the dead. We actually have the kind of faith that can just walk around and our shadows can heal people. Well, what keeps us from doing that? Come on, somebody. What keeps us from walking around with our shadows healing people? What keeps us from raising the dead on a normal basis? It can't be the faith because we have the same faith that he had. 
Now you're getting it. It has to be our heads. It has to be your unbelief. It can't be your faith because Peter said you have the same faith as he as him. Remember Galatians 2.20? You guys remember that verse where Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's talking about the kind of faith he has. And so if we have the same kind of faith that the apostles had, then we actually are crucified with Christ. We no longer live. Now the life of Christ actually lives in us by faith. So my mind is trying to, my mind is fighting hard to catch up with what my spirit actually believes. Are you guys getting this? Because my spirit believes everything I'm saying to you. But my mind has contradictions because of the answers that don't come sometimes when we pray and the situations that don't change. And so I don't have a faith problem. My problem is my unbelief. And I want to propose to all of you that you don't have a faith problem either. Our problem is not our faith. Our problem is in our minds that create unbelief. Right. Can I get an amen from somebody? Can somebody just wave your hand and say, okay, dad, you get it. We get it. We get it. We get it. Uh, let's keep reading here in second Peter. I'm going to, I'm going to read another verse here. Second Peter one verse three <clears throat> for his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So the true knowledge is Jesus. He's truth, right? He is wisdom. And how we find out about him is through the word, right? But this verse specifically says, you already have been given everything you'll ever need to live this life in godliness or a righteous lifestyle which means you've already been given all the faith you'll ever need. So it's not a faith issue. Our problem is not faith. Don't ever say, if I just would have had more faith, because you have God faith in you right now. Not only do you have God faith in you, you actually have Jesus living in you. So you actually have the faithful one that lives in you by the Holy Spirit, Colossians 1.27. So not only do you have faith, you actually have the faithful one living in you. <laughs> Come on, man. And so not listen to this. Not only do you have the faithful one living in you, you actually have the power that raised him from the dead living in you as well. Ephesians 1.19. You have the power that raised you just from the dead that's working in you. And not only do you have faith in you, and not only do you have Jesus in you, and not only do you have resurrection power in you, you also, listen to this, you also have the glory of Christ in you. That would be 2 Thessalonians 2, 14, or the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, where he says, the same glory you gave me, I want you to give it to them so that we may be one, Father, just as you and I are one. So Jesus prayed for us to have the same glory in us that he had in him. So I guess before I start preaching, this whole foundation I'm trying to lay is you don't have a faith issue. It's not your faith. It's our soul. It's our mind. It's what creates unbelief. 
And we're going to have to live and grow past a whole lifestyle of unbelief indoctrination. Do you guys get it? Like from the time you were born, you know, watch out for spring and fall because that's when pollen and ragweed are high. And so you're going to have sinuses if you're prone to that. And so we get taught that and then we start thinking sick instead of by his stripes, I'm healed. No weapon formed against me can prosper. I mean, what if we took that Isaiah 54, 17 serious where it says no weapon formed against me can prosper and everything that rises up against it. If I condemn those words immediately, they can't take root. See, we always like the first part of the verse, but the first part of the verse doesn't work unless we condemn the words that come against us that create unbelief immediately. So they can't take root in our spirit. Come on, somebody, you need to take this vaccination. You know, you're 40, you need to check this out because it's, you know, you're 50, uh-oh, you're really in trouble. You're 60, uh-oh, you're too far gone. Why? Why do we hear that? Because it's the system of the world that's designed to rob, steal, and destroy our faith by unbelief. And I don't want you guys to think I'm on some kind of a tirade against doctors because I'm very grateful for doctors because if it wasn't for doctors, most Christians would be dead. And so I, I think it's better for us to have Christians that are alive because of doctors and have no Christians because they don't have faith yet that believes. <laughs> so that's my stand. <laughs> we need doctors until we walk in the fullness of what Jesus died to give us. Come on. Jesus never sent anybody to a doctor. He said, come to me if you're weary. He said, come to me if you're burdened. Come to me. He didn't say go to the doctor. So, but until we get there, we need them. Amen. Are you guys okay? So I'm thankful for doctors. I just think there's more available to Christians if we would get past unbelief. You get it? If we would get past unbelief. So I, I want to read... Um, I want to do one more verse before I, before I preach. Turn to Proverbs 29. The Lord highlighted this verse to me yesterday. Proverbs 29. And I want to read this verse. Proverbs 29. 25. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare but the one who trusts in the Lord will be protected what do you guys think about that one man is that a jewel is that a nugget to be found and lived I mean how many times how many times in our lives have we felt an impression to reach out and touch someone or to speak something and all of a sudden we started thinking uh oh what I wonder what they'll think or what if it doesn't happen or, and so we have fear and that brings a snare. But if we distrusted God, we'd be protected and he would never put us to shame. Amen, church. And so I want to, I want to go through a couple of stories. But before I do that, the Lord's highlighting something else. He may wreck my whole morning. That's okay. I'm his. 
I think since we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, that our prayer life should be different than trying to get God to give us things that we think we need when we've already been given everything. And the parallel story would be the story I'm going to read from Matthew 17 and Mark 9 about the man with the epileptic son who's demon-possessed. And the widow that Elisha went to in 2 Kings 4. The story of the man is Jesus wouldn't take all the responsibility for his healing. He told the man he needed to believe. In other words, the man had been given everything he needs. He just needed to use it. And sometimes our belief is all we need to use to get what God has already given us. I'm reminded of, I'm reminded of um, uh, Gideon and how he won the battle. It wasn't with numbers. It wasn't with great military expertise. It wasn't with weaponry it was with things they already had torches lanterns horns what they already had god had already given them what they need god has already provided everything we'll ever need come on philippians 4 he he will supply every need according to his glorious riches that are in christ jesus and christ jesus lives in you so every one of your needs is already supplied every one of your needs is already supplied God's not wringing his hands. I wonder how I'm going to take care of him now. He's already provided everything we need. Remember the widow when Elisha shows up? My, my husband's dead. The creditors are coming. They're going to take my boys. I have nothing. And Elisha wouldn't take the responsibility. He looked at her and says, what do you have? Remember that? What do you have? Because we've all been given everything we need. Every one of us has what we need for our answer. We need to use it. And she goes, I just have this little jar, this little tiny thing of oil. I don't have nothing. It's what you need to give God. He's already given you everything you'll need. And her need was supplied because she gave up the little thing that she had. And I think that's the same with Elijah when he came to the widow, the Shulamite woman. And she was out of food and she was going to die. Remember that story, you guys? And he goes, I want the first sandwich. In other words, I want what you think you don't have. And most people would think that would be a greedy evangelist wanting an offering. And actually, it was a man of God saying, you don't have what you need, except if you'll give it to God, then it'll be all that you ever need. So the whole point is the whole Bible is full of stories where all of us have already been given what we need. We need to quit fretting about when's God going to come through? How am I going to get my finances? How am I going to get my health? How am I going to get my relationship? How am I going to get my ministry back? Come on. You've already been given everything. What are you going to do? God's already done it. Like he's waiting on us to be, to be revival because he's already done it. He's paid the price. He's left nothing out. It is finished. Now, that's my preface to the story. So turn to Matthew 17, and I'll read a little bit of this story. It's really been, I can't get away from these stories. And I know I touched on it last week, but I'm going to touch on it again this week. Matthew 17, verse 14. Matthew 17, verse 14. When they came to the crowd... A man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. 
And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. So I want you to understand the man's in trouble, right? He's got a boy that's got seizures like epilepsy. And a demon affects his boy. He brings his boy to the church and the church can't cure him. And Jesus's response is you're unbelieving and that makes you perverse, makes you wicked because you're unbelieving, not because you have no faith, because you're unbelieving. This seems kind of like a harsh word. I want to remind you of one little verse you can maybe highlight in Revelation 21.8, where it's a verse that describes the people that go in the lake of fire. And one of the top categories of people that are damned are unbelieving people. So unbelieving is serious because it stops our faith from working. And Jesus had given these disciples, you know, back in Matthew 10, Jesus had given these disciples authority and power to heal every sickness, every disease, and cast out every unclean spirit. He had already given them power and authority to do what they couldn't do. And he says the reason why they couldn't use his power and authority wasn't their power and authority. It was his power and authority. The reason why they couldn't do it, Jesus says, because you're unbelieving and you're wicked and perverse because you're not believing. I gave you power and authority and you're not believing. So here's my opinion. If the church doesn't operate in power and authority, it's because we're not believing. And here's our dilemma. People that come to church that need healing, and if we don't have, if we're not offering them and, and letting them experience healing, then what do we do as a church? We say this, have you considered going to the doctor? In fact, I would propose that the majority, if not the major majority of churches would kind of be offended if somebody came looking for physical healing because they would say, well, why would you come to us? Why don't you go to the doctor? And then if somebody comes to your church and says, I'm suffering with suicidal thoughts, I have real bad depression, I can't sleep at night, what's the predominant thing that church would tell them? Well, have you considered the psychiatrist? Have you considered this medicine? Have you... Or if someone comes to your church and says, my marriage is in trouble, you would say, well, have you considered this counselor? Or someone comes to your church and says, I can't pay my bills. My finances are a wreck. I don't know how we're going to make it. Well, have you tried this government program? Well, if you do that enough times, brothers and sisters, then the, the world doesn't think there's anything the church really has to offer them to help them with what they need. And so why would they listen to any of our messages? They think, they think our message is irrelevant because we're not doing what we were given the power to do. Come on, somebody, look at me. Let's 
Let's, let's acknowledge it. If we were actually doing for the world what we were given power and authority to do, they would actually want to hear our message. But if we don't address the needs, our message is irrelevant. And so I think Jesus still thinks that unbelieving church is wicked and perverse. If he thought it was wicked and perverse 2,000 years ago, why wouldn't he think it's still wicked and perverse if we're unbelieving today? You guys get it? So that's my dilemma. I don't want to be a part of a movement where we don't address all the needs. I don't want to just be the movement that addresses the Spirit so you can go to heaven someday. That's really, really important to go to heaven. I get it. But it's not the whole purpose of the gospel. It was so we could actually be set free and walk in the fullness today. Like, we can walk in relationship and victory today, not after we die. Jesus wants us to have it today. Amen. Amen, somebody. Come on. And so they couldn't cast it out. So Mark 9, I'm going to read a little bit from his gospel. Mark 9, it's the same story. And... Starts with verse 14. It says, And when they came back to the other disciple, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with him. And immediately, when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to meet him. And he asked them, What are you disputing with? One person from the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son because he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes stiff. And I told your disciples that they could cast it out, but they could not do it. And then he answered and said, oh, unbelieving generation, right? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. But he says, oh, unbelieving generation. Oh, I want you to, I want you to get this. The word, the, the word oh is evocative that expresses like, like an exclamation point. Really what the word O means is wow. Like if you were to translate it into like our, our slang language as Americans, it'd be like, wow. So in other words, Jesus is wowed by their unbelief. In other words, Jesus is having a hard time comprehending why they could be so unbelieving and it's wowing him. It's oh unbelieving generation. So that's amazing that our unbelief could have such an effect on Jesus's emotions. Because he assumed, he wants us to believe because he's given us all power and authority and faith. Come on, he's given us the measure that we need. He's given us God faith. He's given us himself to live in us, the power of the resurrection, the glory of God. We have everything we'll ever need inside of us Wow! How could you not believe? You get it? You get the picture. And I think I understand why they couldn't believe. You guys get it? I think I understand. I want you to, I want you to look here. It says the spirit throws him into convulsions, rolling him around, foaming at the mouth. I think when the disciples saw that, I think what they saw, it made them afraid. You know, when you see somebody banging around the ground, foaming at the mouth, being mauled by a, by a demon, 
I think that's what made their minds not believe. And what we see has a big effect on what we believe, what we hear has a big effect on what we believe. I know in my journey, I've, I've had the privilege of seeing nine different people, either adults or babies that were dead, come back to life. And I never was in the room with one of them. I prayed over the phone or I prayed from a distance or I prayed, you know, over a, a person's body that had a fetus inside of them, but I couldn't see it. So all the nine times, you know, three, three different babies, no, four babies and five adults that were dead and came back to life. I never saw them. So my sight never made me unbelieve. It was always from a distance. Cause I don't think I ever would have had faith to believe for a resurrection from the dead. If I had been watching a dead person. That's the power of what we see. Are you guys getting this? What we see affects our belief. What we hear, what we smell, what we feel, our senses have a big effect on what our minds agree with. Let me give you another example. I remember years ago, my friend Stuart and I were in business with a plumbing business. His name is Stuart Clark. He's still in a plumbing business. He's a very successful businessman. But at the time, they were living in southwest Kansas, and his boy had been hit with a head-on collision with a drunk driver, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. Stephen, you probably remember that. His name is Logan. Anyway, I remember when I heard about the accident, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, drive down to Wichita and lay hands on him, and I'll heal him. So I told my wife, and I'm going to Wichita to pray for Logan, because we heard about the accident. He was 16 years old. And so I drove, you know, two and a half hours, got to the hospital. And the whole way there, I have unbelievable faith, man. I'm just believing. And I went in, and um, all the family was there talking about what the doctors were saying. The, the siblings, the parents, the grandparents, the friends, everybody was talking about what the doctors are saying. Like this, this kind doesn't recover. This kind is a sentence for life. This is all I heard was unbelief. All I heard was unbelief. And I, I didn't have, like I was afraid to pray in front of them. So I just whispered a little prayer because of everything I was hearing in the natural. And I left and he didn't get healed. And I thought about that for the past 15 years. What if I would have showed up in the middle of the night when nobody was there talking unbelief? I think he would have got up. And it wasn't that I didn't have faith, you guys. I drove a five hour round trip because I thought the Holy Spirit told me to go. My faith was perfect. I allowed something to get in my head. Do you guys get this? Uh, I remember when I heard that Lenny Weishart had had open heart surgery and he was struggling real bad. In fact, his wife called me. Joy called me. We were having one of our prayer meetings at college church back then. We were praying every night of the week. And I remember um, one of the pastors had talked about Lenny and his struggle and what he was going through. And 
I felt like I was supposed to go pray for him. <laughs> it's strange. It was, it was, it was a Friday night prayer meeting. And I felt like the Holy Spirit says, if you go pray for him, I'll heal him. And so I called Joy and I said, Joy, I feel like I'm supposed to come lay hands on Lenny. And she goes, okay, if you feel like it, we'll, we'll be here. We, he can't leave the house. He's been in here for weeks. He can't leave the house. And so I told my wife, I bought a plane ticket, you know, on the spot. I packed my suitcase. I went out to my car. It was pouring down rain. My suitcase fell open on the driveway. All my clothes got wet. It was crazy. I got to the airport. I flew into Indianapolis. I rented a car. I drove 45 minutes to Lenny's house. I knocked on the door. Joy came to the window, to the door and hugged me and said, I can't believe you came. And I went in, you know, Lenny looks gray. He's sitting in his recliner in a house robe. You can see his scar down his chest. He's real depressed, but nobody's talking unbelief. Nobody's saying anything. And I just remember saying, Lenny, I don't want to stay long. I just know that God told me if I'd come and pray, he would heal you. So I touched his chest and his head. And I spoke against the depression, the anxiety. And I just said, be healed. And I left, went to my hotel. And the next morning I went to church and Joy was there. Lindy wasn't, but Joy was there. And she said, Dan, come up and give a testimony and share whatever the Lord puts on your heart. And I remember the service lasted till two o'clock in the afternoon. Because when I shared why I was there, the spirit fell and the flood fronted, the, the, the front flooded with people. And there were dozens and dozens of testimonies of healings that took place. And then we went back after church and Joy invited me over for dinner. I sat there and Lenny looked like he was doing better. And he said, why, what took you guys so long? And Joy said, well, I asked Dan to come up and share a testimony and the service lasted three and a half hours. And so then I flew home that afternoon and Monday afternoon, Joy called me. She goes, I can't believe what's happened to Lenny. I said, what happened? Well, he got out of the house today for the first time in six weeks and he took me to lunch downtown and he feels good. He doesn't feel depressed. He doesn't feel fearful. He doesn't feel hopeful. And he's, he's not the same. Now, what's the difference between Lenny and Logan? When I got to Lenny, people weren't talking unbelief. When I got to Logan, all I could hear was, this is what the doctors say. This is what the statistics say. This is... My faith was the same in both situations. You guys get this? Stan Hall, remember that night when I was at your church? We had about 10 churches there that one night, and that Willie was sitting in that wheelchair. And his mom, Penny, was sitting next to him, and I looked at him. And before the service, my son Chad and I had been talking about, why don't we just heal people? Why do we keep waiting for God to do stuff when he told us to heal people? I was actually sitting out in your parking lot that night, Stan, having that discussion with my boy, Chad. I'll never forget that night. I said, Chad, God never told us to ask him to do stuff. He gave us all we need to do it. We're supposed to be doing it. And he goes, I know, Dad. Why do we do this? I don't know, but it's time we start doing what the Bible says. So I remember going in the service, and Willie's sitting there in the wheelchair, and I asked him, does he want to walk? And he stutters real bad. 
and I can't get my heart off of him. I'm trying to preach my message, but I'm just staring at this wheelie because I can't get my heart off of him because I feel like God's saying, get him up. And so I, I said, what, what's wrong with you? And he couldn't talk because he stuttered. So his mom told me he got struck by lightning and that he was dead for a bunch of minutes. And ever since he came back, you know, ever since they resuscitated him, his legs didn't work. So here's this guy in a wheelchair that stutters because he got struck by lightning. And I think it was six years it happened earlier. I think it was six years it had been. Anyway, I went back and grabbed his hands and got him up and he started walking around the room because I didn't allow six years dead this long to block my conversation of why don't we believe in the parking lot. I didn't allow it to get below my belief. And Willie got up and started walking, you guys. Come on, man. A guy that was paralyzed from a lightning strike and death. I, I remember when I was in Worcester, Jackie, one of the times. I went to Worcester actually five times. But one of the times I was in Worcester, I remember there was a lady on the second row. As I was looking out, she was off to my right on the second row, and she was on a she was she couldn't move her legs. And so I remember asking her, I said, why are you in this wheelchair? And she goes, oh, I died giving birth to my fourth baby, my son. Ten years ago, I died on the operating table, and I was dead for 20 minutes. And ever since then, my legs haven't worked. And I remember preaching my message, but I couldn't get her off my heart. I couldn't get her off my heart. And I remember, you know, we were laying hands on people, and I was going down the line laying hands on people, and I finally couldn't stand any longer and I went over to Pastor Nathan. I said, Nathan, would you go with me? I feel like we're supposed to get that lady out of that chair so she can walk. And so he walked over with me. And I said, do you want to walk? And she goes, I want to try. And I picked her up. I didn't pray. I grabbed her hands and got her up. And that lady back, she walked back and forth in front of the church without me helping her. Because I didn't have unbelief. Are you guys getting this? I'm, I'm saying faith is not our problem. It's unbelief. We all have faith. Our minds are constantly needing to be renewed. So our minds don't talk us out of believing what our heart knows to be true. Amen. Are you guys okay? Or is this too like too intense? Everybody happy? I feel alone here. Dan, this is Steven. Yeah. Um, can, can I maybe ask a question? I know we've kind of already had this, this conversation briefly. Um, but, uh, my wife was healed from fibromyalgia before we got married. It was an amazing story. So I have belief for heal of diseases and, and have prayed over people and, and have been healed. And, there's two ladies in my church who um, very early in my ministry here, I believe the Lord was saying, uh, have a healing service. We did. People got healed. Uh, these two ladies, both with fibromyalgia, the other one with scoliosis uh, and fibromyalgia and a whole lot of things. Um, I'm going to answer your question right now, if you'll let me. Yeah, go ahead. Can I answer your question? Here we go. You ready? So... Jesus said, how long has this been happening to him? And the daddy said, from his childhood. In other words, a long time. And therein lies the problem. 
Jesus was trying to teach us that the longer we let some stronghold of unbelief exist, the harder it is for us to receive our healing. If it's like, like for instance, if something hits you instantly and you realize it's a demonic attack where it's a weapon that's trying to be formed against you, if you'll condemn those words instantly, they can't take root, they can't produce their fruit. But if you have something because your, your parents said, yeah, you're prone to that, and then you grew up, yeah, that's who I am, that's why I have trouble this time of the month, or that's why I have this pain here. Well, after a while, we become what we believe because of our circumstances, and it's been a long time. And it's not hard for God to heal physically, but it's a lot harder for God to heal emotionally if it's been a long time. And let me give you this, because it's not your faith that's the issue, and it's not your belief that's the issue always either, Stephen, because in Jesus' hometown, he could do no mighty miracles, not because of his faith, but because of their unbelief. And I hope that makes sense to everybody that's listening. It's not always your faith and belief that's the issue. You're dealing with people that have their own unbelief issues. If Jesus could do no mighty miracles in his hometown church because of their unbelief, come on, then we're, the, we're in the same position Jesus is. I hope that answers your question, Stephen. So, so, so let me keep going. So it throws you in the fire, blah, blah, blah. If you can do anything, take pity on us. So that's the man's cry. And that's the way most people, most people approach the church with the, with the mentality, God, if you can do anything, in other words, if you're in a good mood, if you feel inclined, can you help me in this situation? Can you take pity on me? And that's the wrong approach because Jesus already said, by my stripes, you're already healed. I've already done everything you need for your healing. And so Jesus responds to this daddy. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Jesus didn't say, okay, I'll do it. Jesus didn't take the whole responsibility for the man's son's healing. He put it back on the man. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible. Do you guys see that? Jesus wouldn't say, okay, I'll heal him. Jesus said, you need to believe. Remember what Elisha said to the widow? What do you have? No, I'm not just going to pray that your needs are supplied. What do you have? In other words, if you can believe. And so we all have what we need. Sometimes it's just like a walk. Remember when Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 14, if it's you, call me to you to come on the water. Sometimes it's all you have is a question. Or sometimes it's a step of faith. Or sometimes it's pick up your mat, right? Or sometimes it's stretch forth your hand. What do you have that can be the manifestation of your faith proving you believe. We all have what we need already. Come on, every one of us has everything we need for our breakthrough. Every one of us has everything we need for our healing. We're not waiting on God. He's giving us everything for life and godliness. He lives inside of us. You say, well, Dan, you're being harsh. I'm not being harsh. I'm, I'm dealing with the same dilemma that you're dealing with. I'm walking the same step all of you are walking. I still need a brand new left hip that I know doctors can fix. Okay. Come on, man. In fact, my wife tells me yesterday, her sister, her younger sister, Dorothy has to have a new hip. 
And there's a new doctor in Olathe now that specializes in less evasive hip replacements so people go back to work in a week and a half. I'm getting all this information. You know what that does to me? It makes me th have a plan B where I don't need to really trust that God can heal me. Because if a doctor can do it where I'm back in a week and a half, why do I need God? So I'm not preaching at you guys. I'm actually preaching at myself. I'm just letting you in on the conversation. I'm not against doctors. I love doctors. I have family members that are doctors. I'm not against the medical profession. I'm against any system that takes us away from leaning on God only. I'm against any system that takes our faith and puts it in anything but God. There's good godly doctors, you guys. Praise God. I'm not against medicine. I'm against the systems of the world that make us not believe what the word of God says to be our reality. Does that make sense, you guys? Does anybody, does anybody understand what I'm saying? We got to believe the word of God. And so Jesus puts it back on the man and says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the man cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> and I think that's as good as it gets. I think if you believe in your heart, your unbelief in your head really won't stop the miracle. Because I don't think any of us are ever going to have perfect head position. That's why we have to be renewed day by day by day. Like we don't ever get it. Our minds kind of funny, right? But we have the mind of Christ. We just need to keep believing it, right? We have the mind of Christ. We need to keep walking in it. We need to keep growing into that. But we can't go a day without the renewing of our minds. We can't go one moment without the renewing. We need the ongoing work of the word of God renewing our minds. Do you guys agree with this? Come on, man. I want to get us past unbelief so that all things are possible to those who believe. And the guy gets his miracle. Come on. So here's, here's what I want to end up on. <clears throat> the disciples come to him at the end, and they say, how come we couldn't do it? And Jesus says, you know, because of your unbelief. But he says this. He says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Now, a lot of people interpret that this kind of demon only comes out if you pray and fast. But that can't be accurate because all you need is Jesus and his blood and your authority to get rid of a demon. If your prayer and fasting is the, the, the quotient for getting rid of demons, then none of us are going to be able to pray and fast enough because we're always going to think we have to do more. We have the power of the blood. We have the authority of Christ. We actually have Christ living in us. And we have the name of Jesus. So it's not talking about, well, these kind of demons, you need to do more work. No, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You don't need to pray and fast more. What he's referring to is this. This kind of unbelief can only come out by prayer and fasting. Yeah. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought he was talking about our faith. Well, if you read Matthew's account, he goes in right afterwards by saying, all you need is a grain of mustard seed faith. You don't need a lot of faith. Your problem isn't your faith. 
you don't even need a lot of faith. Your problem is you need to fight your flesh and your emotions. You need to deny your flesh. Most of the time, the biggest source of unbelief is our flesh condition. Am I right, you guys? Come on, man. Most of the time, it's, wait a minute, I don't feel good. Wait a minute, why am I this? What? And most of the time, the loudest voice is either your, your mind, your emotions, or your flesh, your body. And that's why Jesus says, this kind only comes out. This kind of unbelief, you have to fight it. You have to fight the fight on the level where it's coming from. And I think their unbelief was because they saw the boy being mauled on the ground, foaming at the mouth. And it didn't leave immediately. And what they saw with their natural eyes made them go into unbelief. And Jesus says, there's a way to fight that. Spend time with me denying your flesh and fasting. And your spirit man will start taking charge. And you can start believing in your heart again, right? Remember, remember Romans 10, 9, you can... Confess with your mouth, but it's when you believe in your heart. In other words, when the belief comes from your depths of your spirit, that's when salvation manifests, spirit, soul, and body. So you fast today, and your body says, I'm hungry, and you say, shut up, I'm going to go another day. Eventually, your body might not have quite as much influence over your spirit if you deny your flesh long enough, right? That's the purpose of it to get our spirit man back in right position where he's calling the shots and not our feelings. I'm not there yet, you guys. I'm not where I want to be. But I promised you, like, right now, I'm light years ahead of where I was two or three years ago. Like, I don't get shaken when I see things now. <laughs> like, like last, last, last night at my service, I saw people that looked pretty bad, and I just saw God touching them. I could just see through their bad looking. And the power of God just came on people, man. So I'm getting to the place where the senses aren't weighing as heavily. So I think we all can grow in our belief. Would you guys agree with that? I think we all can grow. And so the purpose is not have perfect belief. The purpose is let's be growing into Christ-like belief. Let's just keep growing. And when we get knocked back because we don't see a move, let's don't get offended. Let's keep pressing in for more. Amen, church? Come on. I told this story last week. I'm going to tell it again. This is how I'm going to end the sermon. I read, I read four books on Smith Wigglesworth, and in one of them there was this story that in his meetings he would, he would say the first person on the stage will be healed no matter what your sickness is. That was, that was his way he would do it. Well, in one of his meetings, he um, there was a couple of ladies that brought a lady up on the stage that had a big tumor on her stomach, like a nine-month pregnancy. And Smith Wigglesworth looked at the ladies and said, let her go. And they said, we can't, she'll fall down. And he goes, let her go. And so she falls on her stomach, right? And she's crying in pain. And he looks at her and says, pick her up. And they picked her up, and she's crying. The ladies are mortified. They didn't know they would have to do that. And he says it again, let her go. And she falls down again. They don't want to let her go, but he makes them. He says, you let her go. So she falls on her stomach again. She's down there crying in pain, and the, and the ladies are, like, mortified. And he says, pick her up. 
And so they pick her up. You know, she's just standing there. She's in shock. I mean, what is going on? I'm being tortured. And he says a third time, let her go. And they said, we're not going to do it. You're not going to torture this poor lady. And some guy in the crowd says, what are you doing? You're insensitive. You're, you're being mean. I mean, how can you do this? And the man, then Smith Wigglesworth shuts the man up and says, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing God's business. So you don't need to worry about what I'm doing. And he looked at the ladies again and he says, let her go. And he, they let her fall again. And the tumor fell out and it's on the stage and she walked away healed. Now, I don't know if I could ever do that. What I'm saying is Smith Wigglesworth got to a place with what he was seeing with his natural eyes, didn't talk him out of what he was believing God wanted to do. I'm not there yet. I want to get there to where anything that contradicts bias stripes were already healed. Anything that contradicts the word, I don't want it to have an effect that makes me not believe. That's what I'm shooting for. I don't know. Maybe I'm out of my mind. I still believe Jesus's words in Mark 9, 23, all things are possible to those who believe. Who else believes that? I mean, do you think it includes all things? Do you guys think it includes all things? Do you think Jesus was lying or do you think there's untapped potential inside of all of us that God is waiting for us to believe so it can be released into people's lives all around us? Starting with our own lives. <laughs> Amen. Whoa, man, this is so heavy on my heart. You guys, I can't get away from this truth. It's just burning in my bones, man. And everything in the world tries to talk us out of believing. Everything. Family, friends, neighbors, news, media, jobs, politics, Christian experts. Everything in the world is trying to talk all of us out of believing. And Jesus says, all things are possible. Man, Rich Henry, I want to get here, dude. <laughs> I am so tired. I want to get here, you guys. I want to get here. I want to get there. Don't you guys want to get there, man? All things are possible to him who believes. Don't you guys think the spirit of fear is everywhere in the church right now? Ever since this COVID thing hit, don't you think there's just fear everywhere, man? I mean, I had two pastor friends die last week from COVID. They both had the vaccine, you guys. What the heck do you think Satan's trying to do? He's trying to make us all fear so faith can't work. Satan is trying to get every Christian into fear where we're all holding on in fear instead of faith and love. Don't we see his insidious design? He's trying to undermine our belief. And all things are possible to him who believes.
So yeah, do we have casualties everywhere you look? Does it look impossible to natural? Pretty much. Does it change Jesus? No. Are we supposed to relegate this to the next life? Are we supposed to take him at his word that as he is, so are we?